6. Structyon are sometimes made as rounded overhanging continuations of the upper part of the roof, and sometimes as independent additions, not continuous with, and not forming parts of, the actual roof, in front of the building, but not at the back, is a platform at a level about a foot below that of the inner floor, extending the whole length of the front of the building, and projecting forwards to a distance of from 2 to 5 feet. The approach from the ground to this platform in the case of a high-built amount is a rudely constructed ladder, but when the building is only low and near the ground it is generally merely a rough sloping piece of tree trunk, or even only a stump. The two gable ends are enclosed with walls made of horizontal tree branches, two or three of which are, at both the front and rear ends of the building, discontinued for a short distance in the center, so as to alleviate openings. These openings are, say, two feet or more above the level of the front outside platform, and one foot or more above that of the inside floor, and are usually very small, so that, in entering or leaving the building, you have to step up to, or even climb, and wriggle yourself through the opening, and then step down on the other side. Inside the building you find the center of the floor space occupied by a longitudinal fireplace, about two feet broad, extending from front to back of the building, and the floors on each side of this fireplace slope upwards somewhat from the visible level of the fireplace towards the sides of the building. The fireplace part of the interior island in fact, dropped to a level below that of the adjoining floors, so as to form a long trough, which is filled up with soil upon which the fire can burn, and it is the visible top level of the soil covering which is practically flush with the inside lower level of the adjacent upward sloping floors. Some distance below the roof there is usually an open ceiling of reeds, used for the purpose of storing and drying fruits and other things, and especially, as will be seen hereafter, for drying fruit required in the preparation for the big feast. Figure 4 is a diagram of the front of an amon, disclosing the internal plan of the floor and fireplace, for which purpose the front head of the roof and the front platform are omitted from the plan, and of the horizontal front timbers the third up from the bottom is shown at the ends only the middle part being omitted, and small portions of the timbers immediately above them are omitted. The words in parentheses appearing in the explanatory notes to the figure are the Mafula names for the various parts of the building. Explanatory notes to figure 4. Main posts. One at the front of the building, one in the middle, and one at the back of Popo. Posts supporting roof. A line of them running along each side Tegeli. Posts supporting outer edge of flooring. A line of them on each side Imuje or Ajay. Posts supporting inner edge of flooring and hearth. A line of them on each side Fajolimuje. Lower ridge pole tangoof. Main downward sloping roof work. Strongly made. Going all the way back. Only four or five of them on each side Loco Loco. Upper ridge pole tope. Main horizontal roof work. Resting on Gagaby. Upper downward sloping roof work. Not so thick as resting on. Going all the way back at intervals of about one foot in Gala. Upper horizontal roof work. Not so thick as resting on gaggy thatch made of leaves essays. Note. The roof excluding the hood projects forward and overhangs a little beyond the post. So as to overhang the greater part, but not the whole, of the platform. The hood not shown in this figure is really intended to shelter the platform. Pole supporting roof Korea. Pole supporting outer edge of floor Korea. Pole supporting inner edge of floor and enclosing hearth Jacobson. Floor. Composed of transverse woodwork koimon with thin light longitudinal lath work on top of it on dovo. Pole above inner edge of floor and edging hearth. Not so thick as bubuje. Floor of fireplace. Upon which soil is put fajol Pieces of wood supported by and. 
going right across building and over floor of fireplace, but under its earth, all the way back Koye, wall timbers below top of door opening, at front and back cow tape, note, one goes right across under door opening, but the middle portion of it is omitted from the diagram, and the lower edges of timbers too are partly broken off, so as to show floor and fireplace, wall timbers above top of door opening die bindy, note, and together the whole wall are called boo, uprights bracing together and mafula name unknown, ceiling made with reeds and used for storing and drying fruit, etc., it may occupy the whole length of the building and the whole width of it, or part only of either or both of these avail, space filled up with soil and used as hearth foge, door opening, one at back also at commandy, figure 5 is a diagram of a transverse section across the center of an amone, showing the internal construction, the explanatory note only deals with portions not explained in those two figure 4, explanatory note to figure 5, post is the main central support of the building corresponding with post in figure 4, posts BB are central side supports to the roof, poles and are attached to posts of BB and help to strengthen the fabric, these poles are also used for hanging up sleeping hammocks, the other extremities of which are hung to the loco loco of the roof figure 4, the name for post is due to but this word is often used to express the whole structure of BBCD. I have endeavored in the diagrammatic sketch figure 6 to illustrate the apse-like projection of the roof of an amone and the platform arrangements. I had in this sketch denuded the apse roof of its thatch, showing it in skeleton only, and I had shaded all timber work behind the platform, in order more clearly to define the latter. Explanatory notes to figure 6. Front end of thatch assays of main roof. BCD front apse-shaped roof CFLE. The thatch having been removed to show its internal construction. BCBBD downward sloping roof work in Gala. FFCD horizontal roof work Degudi. Carried round in curves. Note. Sometimes the apse shaped roof is constructed as a continuation of the main roof of the building. In which case the Degudi of the former are a continuation of those of the latter. Sometimes the apse roof is a separate appendage. Not connected with the main roof. And in that case the Degudi of the former are separate from those of the latter and are fixed at their extremities to the loco loco of the main roof. Posts supporting the platform Kuramolimaga. Horizontal platform supports resting at one end on and at the other end fixed to either the Tedeli or the Imuje. Platform Kuruma. Note. It will be seen that the front of Popo passes through the platform. Additional supports to the apse roof, which are sometimes added, but are not usual. Their lower ends rest on the platform and they are connected with the apse roof at its outer edge Mafula name unknown, a stump by which to get onto the platform. This is often a rough sloping piece of tree trunk, where the platform of the Amon is high it is a rudely constructed ladder jijide. Note. The entire facade of the front gable end is called Kanambi which means door or Puruma which means platform. That of the back gable end is called Ape. Note. The height of the door opening above the outside platform is shown in this figure. The houses are in construction very similar to the Amon, and in fact the above description of the latter may be taken as a description of a house. Subject to the following modifications, I the house is never raised high, its floor always being within a foot or two of the ground, the I, it is smaller than the Amon, its average internal dimensions being about 8 to 12 feet long, and 8 to 10 feet wide, the I. The roof generally slopes down on both sides to the level of the ground concealing the side structure of the house or nearly so. If, the projecting head of the roof is only added at the front of the building, and not at the rear, and it is usually separate from, and not continuous with, the real roof, 
the the platform is generally small and narrow, and often only extends for half the length of the front of the house, and, being always within a foot or two of the ground, it does not possess or require a ladder or tree trunk approach, it is also narrower, frequently there is no platform at all, I, there is no entrance opening at the back of the house, VI, the front entrance opening is smaller and narrower and more difficult of entry, when the family are absent, they generally put sticks across this opening to bar entry, whereas the entrance opening of the Amon is always open, VI, the center house support very often consists of one post only, instead of a combination, X, there is often on one side of the entrance opening a small space of the inside of the house fenced off for occupation by the pigs, and there is a little aperture by which they can get into the space from outside, X the avail ceiling is usually absent, and, even if there be one, it will only extend under a small portion of the roof, the following are explanations of my plates of villages and their buildings, plate, explanation, 55 village of Siluka community of Shivu, with Chief Simone at the end facing up the enclosure, 56 village of Amalala community of Shivu, with Chief Simone at the end of the enclosure, 57 the same village of Amalala photographed in the other direction, with secondary Amone at the end of the enclosure, 58 village of Malala community of Shivu, with secondary Amone at the end of the enclosure, 59 village of Umvan community of Olo, with Chief Simone at the end of the enclosure, 60 village of Baev community of Mandu, with Chief Simone at the end of the enclosure, 61 the Chief Simone in village of Amalala, 62 the Chief Simone in the village of Malala, at the other end of the enclosure, 63 a house in the same village, 64 a house in village of Levo community of Mandu, communications, the native paths of the Mafula people, or at all events those passing through forests, are, like those of most other mountain natives, usually difficult for white men to traverse. The forest tracks in particular are often quite unrecognizable as such to an inexperienced white man, and are generally very narrow and beset with a tangle of stems and hanging roots and creepers of the trees and bush undergrowth, which catch the unwary traveler across the legs or body or hands or face at every turn, and are often so concealed by the grass and vegetation that, unless he be very careful, he is apt to be constantly tripped up by them, and moreover these entanglements are often armed with thorns or prickles, or have serrated edges, a sweep of which may tear the traveler's clothes, or lacerate his hands or face, then there are at every turn and corner rough trunks of fallen trees, visible or concealed, often more or less rotten and treacherous, to be got over, and such things are frequently the only means of crossing ditches and ravines of black rotting vegetable mud, moreover the paths are often very steep, and, indeed, it is this fact, and the presence of rough stones and roots, which renders the very prominent outward turn of the people's big toes, with their prehensile power, such full physical attributes, their bridges may be divided into four types, namely, one a single tree thrown across the stream, having either been blown down, and so fallen across it accidentally, or been purposely placed across it by the natives, to two or more such trunks placed in parallel lines across the stream, and covered with a rough platform of transverse pieces of wood, three the suspension bridge, I regret that I am unable to give a detailed description of Mafulu suspension bridges, but I think I am correct in saying that they are very similar to those of the Kuni people, one of whose bridges is described in the annual report for June, 1909, as being 150 feet long and 20 feet above water at the lowest part, and as being made of La Yervine I do not know whether this would be right for Mafulu, 
with flooring of pieces of stick supported on strips of bark, and as presenting a crazy appearance, which made the governor's carriers afraid of crossing it, though it was in fact perfectly safe, and had very little movement, even in the middle. I also given plate 65 a photograph taken by myself of a bridge over the St. Joseph River, close to the Cooney village of Idoido, which, though a Cooney bridge, may, I think, be taken as fairly illustrative of a Mafula bridge over a wide river. Plate 66 is a photograph, taken in Mafulu, of another form of suspension bridge used by them, and adapted to narrower rivers, the river in this case being the Adala, for the Bandu Bridge. This is a highly arched bridge of bamboo stems. The people take two long stems, and splice them together at their narrow ends, the total length of the spliced pair being considerably greater than the width of the river to be bridged. They then place the spliced pair of bamboos across the river, with one end against a strong backing and support on one side of the river and the other end at the other side, where it will extend for some little distance beyond the river bank. This further end is then forcibly bent backward to the bank by a number of men working together, and is there fixed and backed. The bamboo stems then form a high arch over the river. They then fix another pair of stems in the same way, close to and parallel with the first one, and the double arch so formed is connected all the way across with short pieces of wood, tied firmly to the stems, so as to strengthen the bridge and form a footway, by which it can be crossed. They then generally add a handrail on one side. One can hardly leave the question of physical communications without also referring to the marvelous system of verbal communication which exists amongst the Mafulu and Kuni and other mountain people. Messages are shouted across the valleys from village to village in a way which to the unaccustomed traveler is amazing. It never seemed to me that any attempt was made specially to articulate the words and syllables of the message, or to repeat them slowly, so as to make them more readily heard at a distance off though the last syllable of each sentence is always prolonged into a continuous sort of wail. The system of wireless telegraphy has, however, been before described by other writers, so I need say no more about it. Chapter VII Government, Property, and Inheritance Government and Justice, their island as might be expected, no organized system of government among the Mafulu, nor is there any official administration of justice, as regards government. The chiefs in informal consultation with the sub-chiefs and prominent personage deal with important questions affecting the community or clan or village as a whole, such as the holding of big feasts and important ceremonies, the migrations or splitting up or amalgamation of villages, and warlike operations, but events of this character are not frequent, and as to justice, neither the chiefs nor any other persons have any official duties of settling personal disputes or trying or punishing wrongdoers, the active functions of the chiefs in fact, appear to be largely ceremonial. Concerning the question of justice, it would seem, indeed, that a judicial system is hardly requisite. Personal disputes between members of a village or clan, or even of a community, on such possible subjects as inheritance, boundary, ownership of property, trespass and the like, and wrongful acts within the village or the community, are exceedingly rare except as regards adultery and wounding and killing cases arising from acts of adultery, which are more common. There are certain things which from immemorial custom are regarded as being wrong, and appropriate punishments for which are generally recognized, especially stealing, wounding, killing and adultery, but the punishment for these is administered by the injured parties and their friends, favored and supported by public opinion, and often, where the offender belongs to another clan actively helped by the whole clan of the injured parties, 
The penalty for stealing is the return or replacement of the article stolen, but stealing within the community, and perhaps even more so within the clan or village, is regarded as such a disgraceful offense, more so, I believe, than either killing or adultery, that its mere discovery involves a distressing punishment to the offender, as regards wounding and killing, the recognized rule is blood for blood, and a life for a life. The recognized code for adultery will be stated in the chapter on matrimonial matters. Any retribution for a serious offense committed by someone outside the clan of the person injured is often directed, not only against the offender himself, but against his whole clan. There is a method of discovering the whereabouts of a stolen article, and the identity of the thief, through the medium of a man who is believed to have special powers of ascertaining them. This man takes one of the large broad single shell or ornaments which he places on its edge on the ground, and one of the pig bone implements already described, which he places standing on its point upon the convex surface of the shell. To make the implement stand in this way he puts on the point, and makes to adhere to the shell a small piece of wild beeswax. This being done, I was told, surreptitiously, though I cannot say to what extent the people are deceived by the dodge, or are aware of it, the implement stands on the shell for a few seconds, after which it falls down. Previously to doing this he has told his client of certain possible directions in which the implement may fall, and intimated that, whichever that may be, it will be the direction in which the lost article must be sought. He has also given certain alternative names of possible culprits, one of such names being associated with each of the alternative directions of falling. The fall of the implement thus indicates the quarter in which the lost article may be found and the name of the thief. Father Clauser saw this performance enacted in connection with a pig which had been stolen from a chief, the falling bone successfully went to the direction in which the pig was afterwards found, and there was no doubt that the alleged thief was in fact the true culprit. Presumably the operator makes private enquiries before trying his experiment, and knows how to control the fall of the implement. Property and Inheritance The property of a Mafula native may be classified as being one his movable belongings, such as clothing ornaments, implements and pigs, to his house in the village, three his bush land, for his gardens, the movable belongings are, of course, his own absolute property, the village house is also his own, but this does not include the site of that house, which continues to be the property of the village, every grown-up male inhabitant of the village has the right to build for himself one house in that village, he is not entitled to have more than one there, but he may have a house in each of two or more villages, and a chief or very important man is allowed two or three houses in the same village, on a house being pulled down and not rebuilt, or being abandoned and left to decay, the site reverts to the village, and another person may build a house upon it, houses are never sold, but the ordinary life of the house is only a few years, the man's bush land is his own property, and his ownership includes all trees and growth which may be upon it, and which no other man may cut down, but it does not include game, this being the common property of the community, and any member of the community is entitled to pass over the land, hunt on it, and fish in streams passing through it, as he pleases. The whole of the bush land of the community belongs in separate portions to different owners, one man sometimes owning two or more of such portions, and it is most remarkable that, though there are apparently no artificial boundary marks between the various portions, these boundaries are, somehow or other, known and respected and disputes with reference to them are practically unknown. How the original allocations and allotments of land have been made does not appear to be known to the people themselves, 
the man's garden plot or plots are also his own, having been cleared by him or some predecessor of his out of his or that predecessor's own bush land, and he may build in his gardens as many houses as he pleases. His ownership of his garden plot is more exclusive than is that of his bush land, as other people are not entitled to pass over it, but on the other hand, if he abandons the garden, and nature again overruns it with growth a process which takes place with great rapidity it ceases to be his garden, and reverts to, and becomes absorbed in the portion of the bush out of which it had been cleared, and if, as it may be, he is not the sole owner of that portion of bush, he loses his exclusive right to the land, which as a garden had been his own sole property, no man can sell or exchange either his bush land or his garden plots, and changes in their ownership therefore only arise through death and inheritance. The statement, however, is, I think, subject to the qualification that an owner of bush land will sometimes allow his son or other male descendant to clear and make for himself a garden in it, but I am not sure as to the point, on a man's death his widow, if any, does not inherit any portion of his property, either movable or immovable, but three things are allowed to her, she is generally allowed one big, which will be required by her at a later date for the ceremony of the removal of her mourning, and she shares with her husband's children, or, if there be none, she has the sole right to, the then current season's crops and fruit resulting from the planting effected by her late husband and herself, though this is a right which, after her return home to her own people, she would not continue to exercise, and she is allowed to continue to occupy her husband's house but this latter privilege terminates at the morning removal ceremony, when the house will be pulled down, and its site will revert to the village, and she will probably return to her own people in her own village, if she has not done so previously. Subject to these three allowances, I may dismiss the widow entirely in dealing with the law of inheritance. I may also dismiss the man's female children by saying that, if there be male children, the females do not share at all in the inheritance and even if there be no male children the female children will only perhaps be allowed, apparently rather as a matter of grace than of right, to share in his movable effects, and that, subject to this, everything goes to the man's male relatives, I may also eliminate the man's pigs, as apparently any pigs he has, other than that retained for his widow, are killed at his funeral, on the death of an owner everything he possesses goes, except as above mentioned, to his sons, they divide the movable things between them, but the bush and garden land pass to them jointly, and there is no process by which either of these can be divided and portioned among them. The male children of a deceased son, and the male children of any deceased male child of that deceased son and so on for subsequent generations, inherit between them in lieu of that son. There does not appear, however, to be any idea in the mafulu mind of each son of the deceased owner being entitled to a specific equal fractional share or of the descendants of a deceased son of that owner being between them only entitled to a one share, per stirpes, they apparently do not get beyond the general idea that these people, whoever they may be and to whatever generations they may belong, become the owners of the property, they take possession of and cultivate the existing gardens as joint property, any one of them will be allowed to clear some of their portion of bush, and fence it, and plant it as a garden, and it will then become the sole property of that one man, and if he dies it will pass as his own property to his own heirs, though, as before stated, if he abandons it, and lets it be swallowed up by the bush, it will cease to be his own garden, and will again be included in the family's joint portion of bush land, and on his death his heirs will only come into the joint bush ownership, 
In this way the ownership of a garden must often be in several persons, with no well-defined rights in her southeast, and the general ownership of bush land which has never been cleared, or which, having been cleared, has been abandoned and reverted, must often be in a very large number of persons without defined rights. In fact, so far as bush land is concerned, one only has to remember that on the death of an owner it passes into joint ownership of children that on the deaths of these children fresh groups of persons come into the joint ownership that this may go on indefinitely, generation after generation that bush, having once got into the ownership of many people, is hardly likely to again fall by descent into a single ownership that indeed the tendency must be for the number of owners of any one portion of bush steadily to increase and finally that there is no way by which the extensively divided ownership can be terminated by either partition or alienation and one then realizes the extraordinary complications of family ownership of bush land which must commonly exist. As regards both movable effects and gardens and bush land there must be endless occasions for dispute. How are the movable things to be divided among the inheritors? And, in particular, who is to take perhaps one valuable article, which may be worth all the rest put together? How are questions of doubtful claims to airship to bush and garden land to be determined? How is the joint ownership of the gardens to be dealt with? And how is the work there to be apportioned? And the products of the gardens divided? How are the mutual rights of the bush land to be regulated? And especially what is to happen if each of two or more joint owners desires to clear and allocate to himself as a garden, a specially eligible piece of bush, such situations in England would bristle with lawsuits, and I tried to find out how these questions were actually dealt with by the Mafulu, but there is no judicial system there, and the only answer I could get was that in these matters, as in the case of inter-community bush boundaries and personal bush boundaries, disputes were practically unknown though it was pointed out to me, as regards bush land, that the amount of it belonging to any one family was usually so large that crowding out could hardly arise. If a man dies without male descendants in the male line, then, subject perhaps to some sort of claim of his daughters, if any, to share in his movable effects, his property goes to his nearest male relative or relatives in the male line. This would primarily be his father, if living but the father could hardly be the inheritor of anything but movable things and perhaps garden land, as the deceased could not be the owner of bush land during the lifetime of his father. Subject as regards movable things and perhaps gardens to this right of the father, the persons to inherit everything would be deceased's brothers and the male descendants in the male line of any such brothers who had died, or in default of these it would be the father's not the mother's brothers and their male descendants in the male line, and so on for more distant male relatives every descent being traced strictly in the male line only, on a principle similar to that above explained, male infants, by which term I mean young children, there being of course no infancy in the defined sense in which the term is used in English law, like adults, may become possessed of property by inheritance as regards bush and garden land, and by inheritance or otherwise as regards movable property but they would hardly be likely to be the owners of houses, and the descent from these infants is the same as that in the case of adults. No woman can possess any property, other than movable property, and even this is at best confined to the clothes and ornaments which she wears. On the death of a married woman all her effects go to her husband, or, if he be dead, they go to her children or descendants, male and female, equally. If she has no children or descendants, they go to her husband's father, or, failing him, 
to such other person or persons as would have been entitled to inherit if her effects had been those of her husband. Her own blood relations do not come in as she had been bought and paid for by her husband. If the deceased woman were a spinster, then her effects would pass to her father, or, failing him, to her brothers, or, failing them, to her nearest male relatives on her father's side. The guardianship of and responsibility for infant children whose father dies falls primarily upon the children's mother, and she, if and when she returned to her own people, would probably take the children away with her, though her sons, who shared in the inheritance from their father, would usually come back again to their own village when they became grown up, and might do so even when comparatively young, if there is no mother of the children. The guardianship and responsibility is taken up by one or more of the relatives of either the deceased father or deceased mother of the children, and it might be that some children would be taken over by some of such relatives, and some by others. There appears, however, to be no regular rule as to all this, the question being largely one of convenience. Adopted children have in all matters of inheritance the same rights as actual children. From the above particulars it will be seen that there is no system of descent in the female line or of mother right among the Mafulu, and I could not find any trace of such a thing having ever existed with them. As to this I would draw attention to the facts that the mother's relatives do not come in specially, as they do among the rural and Mako people, in connection with the perennial band ceremony, that a boy owes no service to his maternal uncle, as is the case among the Koi, that there is no equivalent of the Koi ceremony that in no case can a woman be a chief, or chieftainship descend by the female line, that children belong to the clan of their father, and not to that of their mother, and, 